we must constantly look at things in a different way. The Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast was created by two physical therapists out of the desire to learn more about the different educational roles in physical therapy and healthcare and how healthcare education works by talking with educational leaders and people with different perspectives within physical therapy and across interdisciplinary lines on how education can be improved to disrupt the status quo of healthcare education. This is our journey, and thanks for listening. Are you a third-year physical therapy student that excels on tests when you have study guides, checklists, and deadlines? With all of the information available about how to prepare for the NPTE, it's easy to get disorganized and not feel prepared going into the big day. NPTE Prep Success is an online course that provides PT students easy-to-use study guides and step-by-step guidance through the NPTE preparation. To learn more, visit kylericeprep.com. Thank you again all for your continued support, and now for the show. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. My name is Brandon Pollan. Of course, I'm one of your hosts, joined as, other, joined as always by my other half, F. Scott Feel. We are coming to you live from SSPT Live 2018 here in sunny Clearwater Beach, Florida, and we have the honor of speaking with the one and only Tracy Schur, who is the owner and clinical director of Schur Pelvic Health, which is in Maitland, Orlando, Florida. And she is an orthopedic and pelvic physical therapist, faculty member, consultant, international speaker, founder of Pelvic Guru, and a leading authority in the field. Now, you know, Tracy, thank you so much for joining us today to chat. Cause it's so we're thank so you. humbled to have you here with everything. Now, with hearing your talk that you did yesterday on, which I thought was absolutely phenomenal. Thank what you. is your one big? What was your one big takeaway that you really hoped your audience wanted to get out of that, so we could share kind of with our listeners who weren't able to hear in person? Yeah, what's what my whole theme, um, the actual full theme, is to think like a CEO and think big. Um, the topic was on trading time for money, getting out of the time for money trap. So there are things you can do to augment your practice and get out of thinking that you're only going to make money for when you put time in. You can set up systems and you can have affiliates and all sorts of things that will give you leverage and create more money. So the overall theme was think like a CEO. What seemed to resonate with everyone and what I loved the most was that I shared my journey that for for, I basically stopped a hospital job and created my private practice a little bit on a wing and a prayer, and I don't think I realized what I didn't know. And so essentially, this was five years ago. I was telling everyone that I had no money, I didn't know what I was gonna do, and I had one patient on my schedule. And so what was seemed to resonate with everyone and what was so inspiring is that in within five years, using the, the, some of the strategies I shared, I was able to show how I could leverage and go to a six-figure cash practice um, only seeing patients two days a week and hiring other therapists. I was able to create my, my blog site, which is basically a hobby site, turn that into an actual business, which is now also leveraging six figures. And now we're l- uh, doing a larger global platform that will go on to make uh, multi-millions at some point. So. Well, Tracy, for the three or four listeners who may not have heard of you, do you think you could maybe tell them a little bit about your academic journey and how it's kind of led you to where you are today? Sure. I, I could tell this the funny story of how I got into pelvic physical therapy, but I'll, I'll stick with um, the general journey is that um, I essentially went to, when I was an undergrad, I was doing pre-med and neuropsychology, and then I went to Northwestern for PT school, and I had no idea I was going to do anything to do with pelvic physical therapy at all, and only towards the end of that schooling uh, did I decide
I, that I, I went to one clinical, and I, when I showed up at the clinical, uh, the instructor said, the first day, the instructor said, what I want you to do is put on a glove, and you're going to do a vaginal exam. I said, excuse me? <laughs> I, what am I doing? And she said, well, we do women's health here, and this is actually something that I think you should really learn, and you're going to find a lot of benefit. And what I found is every single patient I had the opportunity to work with, they kept saying, why are you finding something no one has ever found before? Why are you finding the, my problem, and why has no one checked this before? And it became clear that this was missing in healthcare, and it became such a huge passion of mine. So actually, the next clinical after that, it was actually at Rancho Los Amigos in California, where I was actually in the neuro and spinal spine uh, trauma unit, and I turned out, I was working with stroke patients, and I actually started a full incontinence program for the stroke patients there. So I took that passion and was like, now I'm really going full-blown, and even took it into the neuro tech field, and then my first uh, job, basically, I moved to Houston, Texas, to specifically work at Women's Hospital of Texas, and I was doing women's health and orthopedics and fitness there, and from then on, that was 18 years ago, and here I am now at this point, um, fully involved in pelvic health with the practice and obviously now online ventures as well. It's really amazing just how much our opinions and stuff can change, especially as we go into school thinking we're going to do one thing and then we come out totally different. I thought for sure I was doing neuro um, based on my background, everything I'd done, or orthopedics. Had no idea pelvic was in the in the yeah. mix. Yeah. It's so fascinating. And you know, and I know you kind of talked about yesterday specifically that as well, specifically about kind of your blog because this was kind of a big catalyst for a lot of things. Um, so in your honest, so honestly, like I'm curious, what made you start the blog, and why do you think it was so popular? Ah, yes, and I touched on this some too. Is that I, I remember thinking I, I would see things that were going on in public health, and I wanted to have a voice. I felt like sometimes things were not out there, and patients would say the same thing, something like to the effect of, "I've had this problem for 10 years. Why have I never heard of pelvic physical therapy?" Or, "I've had this problem for 10 years, and why are you the first person to even look at this part of the body?" Or why are we the first person to even look into what could be going on? It seems like this gets missed in gynecology or this gets missed in urology. So I just initially started out thinking it would be a hobby site where I could give some little tidbits of information. I actually started, a, what initially happened, this is how I became a blog, I actually started a Facebook page and it grew to traction. So it, was, it was even getting more likes and followers than um, Section on Women's Health. And I thought this is so interesting because I'm tapping into not just physical therapists, but we're looking at a whole larger community. And so the Facebook page was just Pelvic Guru, and then I decided I was going to add a, you know, just some blog posts and things there, so I could again just get a message out. So it was very myopic. It was just kind of me just giving some information, trying to get the word out, um, and then it became wildly popular. Uh, I posted something, something to the effect that the title was, "Dear uh, CrossFit Gynecologist, um, I'm concerned about what you what you said in your video or something like that," and it was all based on something I saw that was being perpetuated that it was okay to leak everyone it's okay if you're doing CrossFit you should leak and if you leak it means you're working harder and um, and she basically the gynecologist went on to say I'm a physician and I'm a gynecologist and if you do CrossFit it's okay to leak you should be just own it and be proud of it and so I went on to say listen we should never shame someone that leaks we should never say that they they're abnormal but we should really give them the support and tell them that there is help for it and there's so much more you can do and I gave all the different things that you can do 
and there were days it was hitting 20,000 views at one time. And this was like from, you know, maybe 200 views a day to suddenly I was getting 20,000 views. And I realized, wow, I was starting to realize what people were looking for and what they weren't seeing. The comments were all over the board. It was just like lots and lots of comments. So that was the catalyst of going, wow, I've got something now that people are starting to look at. And um, basically now it's catapulted to where I'm saying is we're close to probably 200 countries at least seeing, seeing this. And it became, I realized it became much larger than me. So. That's a good transition to the next question. What do you see some of the healthcare providers doing when creating and posting educational content that may be not the right thing to do? What mm -hmm. are some of the downfalls that you're seeing out there? Um, I think, so I think this is actually a really important thing that I didn't get to talk about yesterday, which I actually would love to do another talk on at some other time, which is there's two distinct kinds of businesses. There's a service business and there's a platform business, okay? Service business is me giving you a service to another person or a business providing a service to another person. It's very much like, um, again, a little bit more this time for money type of thing, right? And it's a lot of times personality driven, okay? And then you have businesses that are more platform. So, um, Airbnb or Uber, it's not one person. Even with Facebook, it's a platform, though we have Mark Zuckerberg is like the, the head of it. It's still, it's a large type of thing. So one of the things that I see is people are trying to get the message out on a large scale globally, but they're, they're, they're staying small in terms of saying they're just talking about themselves. Like um, where they need to be understanding that the more that they bring other people in and other opinions, it will create a larger platform for them. They can still stay as a service. They can still say, come to my local practice. So that's what happened and that's the difference is um, when I was putting things on a more global platform with Pelvic Guru, which is what that turned into a little bit more, I, what I noticed is that um, people were coming to my private practice because they were finding out where I was and they were traveling to see me. But then what happened is people all over the world were asking, I see that you're a pelvic physical therapist. Who else can I find in my area? So then I was able to bring other people in and do p uh, other people. So it became more of a platform. So I guess the mistake would be that figure out, define what you your goal is and your vision and your mission is. Because if your goal is to direct all business to you and your own business, awesome. Then go all about personality, be authentic and say, and really keep talking about your practice. Mm -hmm. If you're trying to get a message out, like every person should go see a pelvic physical therapist or every person, every woman should get prenatal physical therapy. Don't just do small myopic things about the weather and how you're feeling today, that sort of thing. It, it's, it, you have to make sure your message and your vision are matching what you're putting out, which is some of what I talked about yesterday. Well, this is one of our questions from Steph. Uh, she wanted to know, what are your top three pieces of advice to give young professionals who want to start their own business? Mm -hmm. Top three pieces of advice would be, well, one of them is going to sound negative, but I think it's important to know, it's not all going to be perfect at first. Um, I know that, you know, people, you hear a lot of times that stuff, just keep going, even if you fail, keep going, and it is true, but the biggest part of advice for that is you have to sometimes go through it to know, you, you won't know until you put yourself out there. So I could put tons of content out, for example, and realize no one's even looking at it, but then if I put out something else, but I wouldn't know unless I put my content out there. So you're going to have to fail sometimes to see. But the second part that kind of trails into that, the second part is then also finding shortcuts. A lot of people are already doing this. So if I can give someone a shortcut and tell them, you know, more specific examples, I'm happy to do that, of things I already learned that do or don't work, don't try to reinvent all the wheel yourself. You know, um, for example, I see a lot of talk about what documentation system to use. I could now go and just not listen to anyone and go on my own and look at every single documentation system out there. Or someone can say, listen, 
listen, the top three are, like, for example, if it's Intake Q, you can use G Suite or you can use um, WebPT or something like that, just as three examples. I could then say the pros and cons of each one and they can see, okay, that matches, that doesn't. And we, I already did a, lot, did a lot of that work for you instead of you now having to go and talk to all of those reps and get all that information. So take the shortcuts when they're there, but then there are times when you just literally have to go in. And I think I had to do one more, yeah, one more. <laughs> uh, and the, the third one is to, um, it's kind of this whole CEO mindset, even though you're gonna start out doing a lot on your own, make sure you figure out the things that you really can pay someone. And I told someone yesterday a delineation that they thought was really helpful, which is, people say, well, I can't afford an accountant full-time, I can't afford a copywriter for my blog site. What I say is, think of the one thing you wanna make the most impact. An example, what I did is, I couldn't afford a copywriter to do my entire website for one of my websites. So what I did is I thought, what's the most important section of that website that everyone's gonna to go to that I want them to see? And I, I paid her just for that part of that section of the website. So I know that that was good copy and the rest wasn't as important to me right away. Yeah. So there's ways to you know utilize other people because I'm not a copywriter, but also you don't have to necessarily pay you know monthly for that service. There's ways to, to work around that. Yeah, no, I think those are some really good points. And you know, to kind of go a little bit of a level beyond that, I know you've mentioned a lot of great tips already, um, but what in general, what are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned through experiences or failures regarding clinical or business practice that you mm -hmm. maybe haven't mentioned already? Oh, a, a big one that gets mentioned quite a lot, but I, I really think if you're doing something like a cash PT practice, um, the, the marketing is so different. So I would say tips for that is it really is about community, um, getting yourself connected with people who are already paying cash. So if you're you know, acupuncturist or... Um, chiropractors, anything in those like natural healing parts, massage, those people that go to them are already paying cash or already paying in a service where they don't expect to use insurance. So when I have uh, partnerships with those types of clinicians and the other pieces, I say, how can I get people to you? What's the best way or what would you like to see? It's not just a one way. Right. You know, we have this mutual thing where I know for that particular practitioner, I'm going to send them because, and, and there's a reciprocal. Um, so that's one thing. And then in terms of I'm trying to think, there's, there's there's so many things that come to mind, but um, I'm trying to think of a failure that would be a, a good a good thing to talk about. See, isn't it good? It's, talk, it's great to talk about failures because I don't want anyone to think it's just like, ta-da, and suddenly I had this seven-figure business. Yeah. There's so many that, the, you know, no one was seeing the, some of my friends saw and, and family saw the dark times where I was staying at the office till 11 o'clock at night because I was doing my laundry. I was doing everything, the counting, everything, right? So there are those just figuring out that I'm not okay with this and setting boundaries around that. But um, another failure is um, investing in things that you realize, like for example, I'm, um, I've spent thousands and thousands on certain kinds of mentoring. And in some ways that was really helpful. I highly recommend mentors, but figure out, this is really important. If you're gonna use a mentor or anyone else to help you, make sure what they're, figure out what their outcome, what the result is gonna be if you work with them. Because sometimes you realize later that one of the mentors I worked with, it turned out theirs was on setting up systems and how you're gonna do accounting and business flow charts and how the org chart is gonna look. I realized that that's not my genius zone. I didn't want to spend, I need to actually even hire someone to help me with that. I don't want to spend weeks and weeks learning how to do that because that takes me completely out of my genius zone. So I think the, fa the business failure there is figure out who can help you but make sure they can give you the right result. Like make sure you understand what they're promising you yeah. if you're going to reach out for help. 
So from your perspective, what are the characteristics of a leading clinical expert? Ah, someone asked this yesterday as well, and I love this question about how do you know if you're hiring someone that meets clinical expertise or you would know that they would be a good person to hire? And how do you know in general, for example, we're, we're going to be doing a lot of blog articles asking others to write articles for Pelvic Guru because, again, we're making this much larger than me and, and, and lots all over the world. And what I would say is in any given field, so whatever it is the specialty is, whether it's geriatrics, pelvic health, or anything, we want to know what, what would you think would be the top standard for research? What are the courses that are out there and what should they know? And what I do is I ask questions like, for example, we deal with a lot of chronic pelvic pain, pain in general. So if I'm interviewing someone or if I want to know if they meet the standards, what I would want to know is, um, tell me a little bit about what your understanding is of pain science. I would want to know what their understanding is of the biopsychosocial model. And you'd be surprised. I mean, when I teach courses, I still say, how many people are familiar with, you know, um, uh, Lorimer Mosley and pain science? And I mean, there's a few people in the room that still don't know this, that have no idea. So when I ask that question and someone says, yeah, I think I know some about that, or yes, that means they're kind of crazy if they are still having pain. So they're getting the message, but they're not integrating it. Mm -hmm. Those are some key things. Figure out what the top things are that you think are important in the latest research. And then I say, what, what types of things are you following on social media or are you connected with these groups? Because I want to see that they're engaged and want to keep learning. Mm -hmm. And I also check their content. I want to know um, the content you're putting out will show a lot about your expertise. If you're still talking about things that are, you know, for example, I'm thinking um, someone says a pain fiber or something or they're talking that way still or, you know, everything's just about trigger points. I think what happens is you realize that they're they're not a clinical expert because they're not necessarily keeping up with the latest information. And they're not necessarily integrating into clinical practice. I think those are some good points, especially with being up to date more with research and being actually not even just knowing it, but being able to integrate it. That's it. Is being such a very big determining factor in whether someone's really going to be a clinical expert in that opinion. Um, but besides that, though, what are some other strategies that you would recommend for someone? So say someone's like, I want to be a clinical expert on this unique topic. Mm -hmm. So say, let's say, for example, pelvic, yes. for example, yes. um, beforehand, wasn't it? wasn't near as big as perhaps orthopedic at yes. earlier on. How would you recommend, like how did someone become a leading figure clinically in maybe a niche area of practice? I, I think it's it's basically three to four tiers. One for sure is taking, and again, I could give them the best courses to take. So basically the foundational courses for pelvic health for sure. Mm -hmm. And then specialty topics depending on the area of interest. So for example, female athlete, if that's where they wanted to focus primarily on female athlete, they still would probably do well to do basic pelvic floor courses. And then I would recommend two to three really great, excellent female athlete-driven types of courses that are, you know, again, research-based, evidence-based, that sort of thing in that, that area. Um, as opposed to, I see some people just grabbing different courses. They'll take, like, obstetrics. They'll take a male pelvic health. They do that, which is fine. Uh, but, you know, making sure you're staying, you're still an expert within those realms, right? Mm -hmm. So that's part of it is the courses you're taking. Second is really figuring out a way to stay on top of the research. And not of all, all of us are going to be reading journal articles. I... I admittedly read probably one to two books. I don't say this very often, but I do read one to two books um, a week. And I typically also do a lot, at least one to two journal articles a week as well. So I'm consistently trying to stay up with it. But this is why for our platform, we're trying to do a journal club once or twice a month because we want to say, hey, we're going to extract, we're going to curate the information for you so you don't have to look all over. This is the latest in this topic. So, and then, um, so that, so it's research, it's taking courses. And then third is like we were talking 
talking about being able to understand the language and how to actually work with the patient. Like, what are you doing to integrate all of that and how are you integrating that? And, and that's where a mentor can help. Yeah. So if I can show someone, listen, we know about pain science, we know about pelvic pain, we know about vulvodynia. Let me show you, listen to how I speak to a patient and understand how I've integrated that research into um, clinical practice. Right. And I think something even for me that I had to learn early on too was like, yes, there's a lot of research, but we also have to know what are the pros and cons and what are the limitations of Yes. Because it's very easy to see, oh, there's a study that says this, but then you look in depth and you're like, yeah, but when you look at the sample size or how they did it, it's really yes. not that great. And research is in silos on purpose. Mm -hmm. So what happens is someone says, well, but the research didn't show that. And even if it was a good study, even if it was large numbers, it's not looking at the fact, for example, endometriosis, there are multiple comorbidities that happen at the same time. So what happens is they say, well, this doesn't happen with someone in endometriosis, but we know they're now starting to put people into um, different groups for research that actually have comorbidities. They used to say they only put them in a group if they didn't have comorbidities, but we know that they typically have five to six comorbidities. So you're not looking at the, the real person if yeah. you're leaving out the comorbidities. Right. So it's important to understand, like you said, the limits of research. Mm -hmm. So Tracy, in regards to women's health, what are some of the top resources, classes, books, websites uh, that you'd recommend for clinicians looking to become a better pelvic health clinician? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, in terms of I was talking about the foundational courses, mm -hmm. at this time, pelvic floor level one, two, and three um, in the in that area, if you want to get started, uh, the two that people tend to go to that we recommend would be sectional women's health, ABTA, they have a um, they have the, the foundational courses and they have other courses as well. Uh, Herman and Wallace is another company and they have the foundational courses. So those, those are the ones that we say for foundational courses. Um, and then from there, they both do have other types of courses. Uh, and then we also, for Pelvic Guru, we have a Pelvic Guru Academy, which is going to change um, to what's called the Global Pelvic Health Alliance. But essentially, we offer other courses that are more specialty courses. And they're basically right now handpicked. So I know I've vetted each instructor and we make sure that they meet certain standards of research like we've talked about. And we have things like male pelvic pain. I do a, a course on clinical highlights and clinical pearls and hands-on demonstrations. We do mastermind and mentoring courses. We do a lot of these things as well. So those are three great resources. And then there are other companies out there. And this is the thing I keep saying. It's not a competition. I love the fact that there's lots of different choices. And I love to leave people what I think they really need versus just come to me because I happen to have it. I'm really big on that. I want to make sure they get what they need when they're going for education. Yeah. And I think one thing that I'm at least seeing now of more certain organizations that I think overall are having more impact is their ability to A, develop a team, but also B, having just establishing a community where they can actually, people can get together and have discussions on, what, I mean, because we can take content from a course. Yeah. And we can, yes, there's going to be a certain generalizable thing and we have to take from it and apply that specifically within our practice. Right. However, there's also going to be situations that come up where like, well, this extraneous circumstance came up. What do I do now? Yes. And I think having a support group, like, oh, I've seen that before, or, you know, yes. having that community is, I think that's definitely becoming more prevalent and being way more effective for sure. And on that note, what's interesting within the pelvic health field, and I'm, this is exactly why we're trying to bridge the gap in the way we're doing it, is if someone takes, let's say someone takes a pelvic floor level one course, and that's the only CEU course they can take that year. Pelvic floor level one course is typically on a very small portion of what pelvic health is. It'll be incontinence, it'll be how to do a vaginal vulvar type exam and looking at those things. But let's say someone then goes to the clinic the next week, they've now taken a pelvic floor course, but it's a male that's suddenly there that has pelvic health issues or it, they have pelvic pain. We off, People will panic and, and this is what I see all the time. I've only taken pelvic level one and I have all these patients and I don't know what to do. So this is why we're trying to figure out ways to get um, people to take longer courses so they get more of it or mm -hmm. having mentoring opportunities where they don't have to 
have to wait now another year. We can we can quickly give them individual advice and help. Yeah. You have the basics, but let me give you some more tips. That's awesome. Yeah, I think that's really good. So we're going to take a little bit of a turn now from the topic here and talk about just personally, you know, I'm sure as we have all definitely read a lot of books in yeah. our lifetimes, what are a couple books that you probably have been, that you've noticed have been most influential for you in regards to whether mm-hmm. it be clinical, business, success, life? Mm-hmm. Like if you could say, you could recommend any two to three books for anyone out there that probably best help with yeah. just life in general. Well, one of my favorite books of all time has, is not really business and it's not really pelvic at all, but what I've always loved, I've always loved Oliver Sacks. So um, anthropologists on Mars. Um, I was a, I think I said earlier, I was a neuropsych. That was one of my concentrations. So I've always been fascinated with the brain, brain and behavior and that sort of thing. And so what I loved about anthropologists on Mars and his other books is that it shows the perception and what happens when you have changes in the brain, how that affects so much. So it ultimately has to do with a lot of what we do in physical therapy. So I've always, that's just my personal favorite in terms of what I loved reading. But um, from a business perspective, the books that I always say, there's actually something called Platform Revolution that I love. There's something called um, Built to Sell, which is excellent because you always want to think of the end of mind. If you're really doing a business well, you think about what what it would look like if you're going to sell it because that's how you set up the best systems and that's how you don't put yourself into just a job. So Built to Sell is another excellent book. One Thing is another great book, focusing on the one thing. And there's one other book I'm thinking um, off the top of my head that I just saw. Um, there are some other excellent clinical books out there too um, that uh, I'll, have to, I'll have to think about maybe come back to. But those are some of the business books I love. Well, Tracy, thank you so much for your time and for coming on the show today. We like to ask each of our guests this one final question. If you could change one aspect of higher learning, whether it be DPT or other healthcare-related uh, fields, what aspect would you change and how would you change it? I'm raising my hand so quickly. I'm like, oh, I know exactly. I actually have been trying to figure out uh, what, how we can change the way that pelvic health education is in DPT schools. Okay, It is completely inconsistent across every single school. There are some that have absolutely, absolutely no mention of pelvic health. There are some that give, like, for example, I had a women's health elective that I took. It was a certain amount of time. We spoke about just prolapse and a few other small things, but I never knew clinically what to do. I never had any hands-on training, and so it was very small in, in what the scope was. And then there are some that have you know full lectures that people come in. I, um, I've spoken at the at UCF DPT program, University of Central Florida, where I had a chance to give a scope of what pelvic health involves, and that was great, but it was only a few hours, and then they have another course that's a little bit of a lab, but, but still, it's so small. So I would love to see more standardized, and we would love to see everyone coming with at least like a pelvic floor one or basic level, um, whether they take it as an elective or whether they at least get the, the general information in each school. And I've even asked, I said, can we come up with a program that's standardized that we can plug into every single DPT school? And what I've heard, and what it seems to be the case, is, is there's so much politics and different things with academia, it's really hard to just plug something in like that. So you have to look at who can you get in all the different schools and cities to be able to at least keep teaching this information. Right. And so that's wonder, my I plug. Interesting. And you wonder even too, like, is it more requirements of the CAPT? Like, I have no idea. Don't even know if it's recovered, recovered by CAPT to be in there. I yeah. Well, it's. I don't think it is. And the other thing, I think many of us feel this way because I see these conversations a lot. Is are we keeping up to a date to what we now? 
now, we're talking about all the new research and these new scopes that are coming out that are really important in, in health. Are we keeping up with that in the DPT programs as well as in the testing? And I think we think we know the answer to that. So I, I get really passionate about it because it's not just pelvic health, it's all across the board, but specifically in pelvic health, we should have people, they want to take it, people want to learn about it, and if you don't, fine, then maybe it can just be a small part and then you take an elective, but to not even give the opportunity, and, a, and we always say everyone has a pelvis, and everyone has things going on there, male, male, female, pediatric, and we just can't keep a blinders on anymore. You know, Tracy, with, you know, if our, any of our listeners perhaps want to reach out or kind of even for, find out more about you, where yeah. can they find you online or on social media? Yeah, so we have right now a Pelvic Guru page on Facebook. We have actually four professionals. We have something called Pelvic Guru Academy Facebook group. Um, and you'll see soon, like I, I made mention of it, but we are starting this Global Pelvic Health Alliance, and there'll be much more information on that coming out, which will be in that group, as well as um, on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Pelvic Guru One, the number one. Perfect, perfect. Well, thank you again yeah. so much for your time and everything. Thank Always you. a pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much. This is fun. Access to healthcare is one of the largest issues facing both providers and patients, as millions of people worldwide lack timely and affordable access to healthcare. Anywhere Healthcare, a telehealth platform, is a simple, low cost option for providers and patients that eliminates the barriers to access to all kinds of healthcare. To find out more, check out anywhere.healthcare which is available on our show notes. And if you use the code HET in all caps when you email to sign up, you'll save 25% off the total cost. Thank you for attending class today. And we hope that you learned something and gained value from the content. If you'd like to schedule office hours with us, feel free to add us on Twitter at HET Podcast, on Instagram, HET Podcast, on Facebook, the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast, and the homepage, healthcareeducationtransformationpodcast.com. And for those of you following along in the syllabus, extra credit can be obtained by liking us, sharing us, and leaving a review. Let's continue our journey up Mount Educational Success as lifelong learners.